Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, well, well. Series 5 of the High Performance Podcast comes to an end. Damien, 23 episodes we've pumped out over the last few weeks. It's been a proper marathon, hasn't it, Jake? I think... uh... I think when we were just reflecting then on the very start of this, uh, we realised just how, how amazing it's been, how lucky we've been to have interviewed so many incredible people. And of course, um, the, the, the reason we do this is to give you at home some information, some takeaways, some life advice. And so what we want to do with our wrap-up um, is, um, I suppose it's a bit like the book that we're releasing shortly. It is a coming together of all of the things that Damien and I have learned, listened to, picked up, stuff that you've fed back about, things that have impacted our audience over the last um, few weeks. So today's wrap-up episode is going to cover the five stages of change. Now, being a former kids presenter, I'm not, um, I'm not qualified to explain what they are, but Damien, you definitely are. So the five stages of change, Jay, come from, it was a line that Clive Woodward gave us when we interviewed him early on in um, series two, I think it was, where he said that winning doesn't happen in straight lines. And I think that's appropriate to understand high performance, that nobody just has a straight line from setting off to winning a gold medal or being successful at the end of it. So the five stages of change originally, if anyone is interested in this, comes from the work of a guy called Dr. Joseph Campbell. Now, Joseph Campbell is a sociologist and at the start of the 20th century, he went around the most diverse cultures in the world asking a question of what unites us. And what he found was that there's a common thread that all of us experience when we go on a journey. And his work is known famously as the hero's journey, that films like Lord of the Rings and Star Wars use it relentlessly. And that's what the five stages are. So to summarise it, I think, when we talk about the journey of high performance, we talk about the dream stage where we have ambitions and desires where we want to get to. Then the leap stage is where we have to do something different than what we were doing yesterday to get towards it. The fight stage is sometimes referred to as the messy middle. This is a bit where things go wrong, where you get too far in to go back and you're not far enough to see the end and morale declines and people get fed up. Then you get to the climb stage where you keep persevering and you see seeds of progress that you're moving towards your ambition. And then the final stage is the arrival stage where you get to where you always desired, you celebrate, and then you start planning again. So they were the five stages I thought that if we, if we can understand it in that way, it gives us all the ability to dip into it at different stages and understand where we are. And hopefully the podcast can help people understand some ideas tips and techniques that they can take to keep moving forward and Damien and I totally understand that you know the millions of people that listen to this podcast are all in different stages of their life different stages of their career of their parenthood um and so it might be that dream and and leap is the stage you're at now it might be that you know you're at the climb stage you might already feel you've arrived but I really hope that over the next few minutes we're going to just cover something that really um, resonates with you no matter what stage you're at and you're going to hear from some amazing people who've joined us on the 
the fifth series of the High Performance Podcast from entrepreneurs like Julian Hearn, who created Huel, or Rick Lewis, whose episode was just incredible. Sports people like Arsenal's Hector Bellerin, Daniel Sturridge, Gareth Southgate, the England boss, Mel Marshall, the swimming coach. Um, you're going to hear from Jensen Button as well. You're going to hear from some retired athletes like Kate Richardson-Walsh, who shared some amazing stuff with us. People who want to create change like Mary Portas. And people who went really deep in terms of their mindset, like Joanna Conta, the tennis player. So enjoy what's to come. Here we go as we wrap up the fifth series of the podcast. Before we go any further, um, we have to mention Lotus Cars. They were with us for the first episode of the very first series when we sat down for a chat with Rio Ferdinand. They are still with us for the final episode of the fifth series. Um, and they're, they're kind of, um, in many ways more relevant than ever because we're talking about the five stages of change and that business has gone through incredible change not just in the last couple of years but in the last few months particularly with the end of the Lotus Evora, the end of the Exige, the end of the famous Elise and as they prepare to make the new and beautiful Lotus Amira um, we're so pleased that despite the fact that they are in a state of change um, like I guess we all are all the time um, that they've stood with us on the podcast from minute one so Lotus thank you so very much for being with us we look forward to working with them again for series six and don't forget you can follow at Lotus Cars across social media to see what they're up to. Right, let's get to it then. We're going to start by covering off the dream stage, something that I hope no matter what stage you're at in life, you still have dreams. And we're going to start by hearing from um, former England striker Daniel Sturridge and the former lead hostage negotiator for the FBI, Chris Voss. Here's what they had to say about dreaming. When I was younger, I was extremely dedicated I didn't really have teenage years, to be honest, um, in terms of, you know, like the high school thing. Yeah, we go out with my friends and we'll hang out and all those types of things. For me, I had a match on a Sunday morning um, and on a Saturday night, I was obsessed with the Spanish Premier League. Um, so I always used to watch, you know, Real Madrid or Barcelona play every every Saturday night. That was my Saturday um, Saturday night and my bit of fun that I, that I would have. So I'd, you know, like to watch. Um, whether it be Zidane, Ronaldo or uh, Rivaldo when, when he was at Barcelona and Figo and people like that. So I was really dedicated, always wanted to, to play football. You know, I was in the front garden as a kid, you know, kicking a ball against the wall on my own. Here's what it's going to look like when you come out so that you don't get hurt. Because I said vision drives decision, right? I got to start putting a vision in their head of them coming out safely. So we're, we're talking to this empty apartment. I'm thoroughly convinced it's empty for six hours, six hours of this over and over and over. And six hours in, a sniper on an adjacent building says, I just saw a curtain move inside. And we all go like, holy cow, they really are in there. And so then I go, look, we just saw the curtains move on the inside. One of you just looked out the window. I've been telling you for six hours not going away and that you're going to come out safe and about five minutes later without saying a word the door opens and a pair of hands comes out exactly as i've described i said you have to come out with your hands first so that we can see that they're empty so we don't hurt you and you've got to move really slow because we've got to keep you safe we brought all three out, all three of them out one at a time, exactly like that. They never said a word. When we got outside, the first one to come out was a female. And I went to talk to her. I'm like, 
I've been talking for six hours. Why don't you say something? And she says, well, we were hoping you would go away. And I said, well, if you were hoping we were go, we would go away, why'd you come out? She said, well, you said you'd never go away. So we finally believed you and decided to come out. I really love that phrase, you know, Damien, vision leads to decision. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I think putting Chris alongside Daniel there is really important because I think if you listen to Daniel, first of all, nowhere in his description of it, of being a young boy is he talking about mansions or bulging bank accounts or the sort of um, trappings of fame. He's talking about just loving being a young boy that wanted to play football to the best of his ability. And I think when he's got that dream, it encapsulates what Chris then says of that vision leads to the decision of sacrificing nights out, sacrificing making easy decisions to um, uh, to go out with your friends rather than to dedicate yourself to your craft. So I think the two things there really highlight how having a dream leads you to be clear uh, and decisive when it comes to deciding how you're going to behave. And I think what's really important is right from the very start, explaining to people that changing your life, living, let's call it a more high performance life, that is not an overnight process. You don't listen to one episode of this podcast and then life changes. Um, I think the really interesting thing here is the people who listen to this and then make the decision to have the dream. But then once they've decided what their dream is or what their ambition is, to then not be outcome focused, because as we know, they're in um, unfulfillment lives, but to be process driven so to say right I, I don't know how I'm going to get there um, I'm going to have to be flexible about that but I do know that my behaviours every single minute of every single day are going to decide whether I get there or not and the harsh truth is having the dream is not going to give you the dream that is just the easiest part coming up with the dream it's the rest of it that matters yeah exactly the, 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 I, every one of us has had a daydream but the, the, the distinction is those then that have taken the decision to do something different on the back of it, to implement, whether that means, you know, you want to feel great when you go on your summer holidays. So you make the decision that you're not going to eat that extra biscuit from the cupboard or, you know, you want to run a marathon and you're going to make that decision to go out even when it's raining. It's the ability to translate it into really clearly defined small steps that is the distinction of high performers. It's interesting when we talk about this because I, when I was on kids' telly, I never really, um, I never really considered that my behaviour was about driving a sort of an exciting future for myself. But it's only now that we talk about this sort of thing and being process oriented and, and focusing on what you do every day. I remember like not drinking, not really going out that much, being obsessed with creating a really good relationship with my superiors on kids TV, um, watching every single show back. So like the day after I'd done a show or the links was my main job, like the links between the programs, I'd be in at 7am watching back what I'd done, um, even though I wasn't due in till 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. But you know what, at the time, I didn't link that with success. I just thought, it just felt like the right thing to do. And I think that's an interesting one, isn't it? That at the time, you sometimes can't necessarily see the link, but you kind of have to trust your instinct that just that extra graft and the extra effort is going to be worth it in the end. Yeah, definitely. I think sometimes you can divide it up into sort of easy and hard decisions. So I had a friend who was an elite athlete for many years and during his pre-season, he used to do the um, go out for a run to keep himself in shape even when he didn't need to. But even he used to go down to granular detail, similar to what you've just described, where he'd decide, am I going to listen to music when I run or am I going to go out and listen to my own thoughts? 
And he decided that when he, he was competing at his sport, he wouldn't have music there. So he had to then learn to control his own thoughts. So he was looking at the granular detail of making those small decisions that add up to a greater whole. And that's what you're describing there of doing the best you can in sort of live television is about coming in and doing the analysis and being reflective and making sure you've got a clear head when you show up to, uh, for business. It's all of those factors that are those decisions that, uh, again, coming back to Chris Foss's um, statement, it derives from having a vision of doing the best you can. And then it's also important, isn't it, for us to be flexible about um, the granular detail that we go to. Like It's unfair to name names, but this week I spoke to a football manager at one of the biggest clubs in English football about one of the biggest players at that football club. And he said to me, the problem is he thinks he's working hard. And I know he isn't working hard. He doesn't He doesn't understand what hard work is when talking about one of his players. And I think that's the other thing. We have to constantly evolve in terms of our dedication and our hard work and look at whether we are getting the results and then change things about, you know. Like we say always, you say it an awful lot, be flexible about how you get there. Yeah, don't get fixed in a certain way of doing it because then that leads you to, to sort of then... Uh, being inflexible and not being responsive to change. But I think when you've got an idea of where you want to get to, you're constantly open then to new ideas, new ways of working, new methods, new insights. I think that's what um, being flexible in our thinking opens us up to that possibility of doing something different. That what might have led us to work hard, say this particular player that you're describing, what... Hard work might have meant to him at a certain level of his career. Now, when you get to the elite level, it might be about working harder off the field, maybe about his mentality or uh, his mindset. And that's hard work as well. You might not have the sweat to show it, but you're working hard in a different way. Interesting. Let's hear a couple more examples from this series of people that spoke about dreams. So I think people will love listening to Gareth Southgate talking about uh, writing our own history with the England team. And Mary Portas talking about how this relates to her own eight-year-old son. You'd like to think sometimes as a player, oh, you know, I'm a club this or that. But the reality is the next ones are in. You know, we talk about the shirt with England. We've got a great guy called Owen Eastwood who right. talks to us about identity and that sort of Southern Hemisphere idea, especially the Maoris of this is your moment in the light, in the spotlight, and then it moves on and... That's how it is, I think, your, your career. You should do your bit, but you know you're leaving it hopefully better for the next people. But then it's their moment and, and we're out of the way. Be bored. That's the most... I, creativity comes from boredom. And you're not going to be all entertained and you're not going to have this and you're not going to be able to go on digital. You're just going to sit there and there's plenty of stuff in your bedroom and you watch them. You watch them just... I can hear him singing... Or he'll find a, just an old cricket ball that has been there, I don't know how long, under the bed, and he'll just start playing with that or rolling it up and down. That is how you start to open up and creativity comes back in. It's often the same in business. Give people space to be themselves. Again, two really inspirational clips there, Damien. Do you know what? I just want to make a quick mention here and take a quick um, breather just to say, I'm sure you're the same, the messages we're getting from people saying that high performance has changed their lives. It hasn't. I really want to be clear with people when they pick up their phone and they send us a message and go, thanks, you know, your podcast, your guest, the messages, it's changed the way I think it's changed the way I act. It's changed my life. No, it hasn't. 
these people have changed their own lives. I think it's really important that people understand and take control of the changes they've made. It might be through listening to the podcast they've made those changes, but I want them to listen to people like, you know, Mary and Gareth and realise that they're the ones that have changed the way they're operating. They're the ones that are going to achieve their dream because it's on them and they should own that change, shouldn't they? They should own the impact. A hundred percent. And I think this is, I mean, interestingly, this is the first chapter of uh, the high performance book that we've got coming out in December speaks around this very point around self-efficacy that where you attribute control to is a first step of high performance that if you attribute it to outside factors, you give that power away. Whereas when you take responsibility and look at it in relation to yourself, that's where real high performance starts from. And I think that's a brilliant point to emphasise, Jake, uh, that anyone that is listening to this and doing something different on it is because they're choosing to do something different themselves. Okay, so you've got the dream. You've changed the way you operate. You feel like you're heading in the right direction. I'm afraid to say now you need some serious bravery because it's time to take a leap. And I would say, oh, I don't know. Would you agree, Damien, every single guest on the podcast at some point in their life has had to take a leap? Definitely. I think it's like playing a game of cards that at some stage you've either got to stick or twist. You've either got to keep with what you know and stay safe or you've got to twist and gamble and take a risk. And with risk comes failure, comes getting it wrong, comes making a fool of yourself. But everybody has to make that decision that at some stage you're going to go all in with this. And what do we call a leap? A leap of faith. And the person you have to have faith in is yourself. As the former GB hockey player, Kate Richardson Walsh did, and as entrepreneur and creator and founder of Huel, Julian Hearn did. Here were they both talking about leaping. And so I was 14, 15, and I was playing for the England under-16s. And I kind of felt like a fish out of water, but I enjoyed it and, and had a great time. But I wasn't giving it any time or thought or effort or energy at all. I was just following my nose and, you know, I was not looking after my body. I hated running. I was eating like a packet of cookies watching Neighbours most nights. I was, you know, going out down the park and drinking with my friends on, like, Friday, Saturday night. Um, just, just wasn't looking after myself in any way. Um, but then the next year when you should be selected for the England under 16s because I was the right age, um, I got dropped and I remember like it's yesterday and I, honestly, the, the emotion hits me right in the core of my chest every single time I think about it. I remember the letter coming through the post because those are the days, that's how I used to find out in those days. And there was a, a list of names, my name wasn't on there. And I ran upstairs, locked the door, the bathroom cried for a few hours and eventually came out. And my mum just sat me down and just, you know, talked to me about it and how I was feeling. And she kind of finished the conversation by saying, well, what do you want to do about it? And actually at the time I was like, harsh, mum, that was really harsh. That was such a harsh question. But actually it was the best question she could have ever have asked me because it was really down to me and what I wanted to do about it. I didn't see it as you know, massive, massive risk. I spent a whole year pre-leaving that job, working evenings and weekends, practicing, experimenting, learning, started earning a little bit of money on the side. That gave me confidence as well. And the fact that I had enough money saved up, we saved some money up during that time because I knew what I was going to do, saved enough money up so that I could survive for six months paying, you know, only bare minimum, but paying the rent, food, bills um, during a six-month period. And then said to my wife, said, if 
I can't earn my salary by the end of this six months is up, I will go back and get that job again. Because in some ways it is a risk giving those things up, but it's not like the end. You can always go back and get that same job or yeah. a similar job at the end of that six month period. So it felt like I tried to, I'm not that, you know, so talking about entrepreneurs being very risky. I don't think they necessarily are. I tried to minimize risk as much as possible. Nobody wants to fail. Sometimes you have to, but I didn't want to. So I, I tried to minimize the risk. And I felt at that end of that sort of year of practicing evenings and weekends, I felt confident enough that I was starting to earn money. And I thought if I can put more hours in, I can get more money out. So within three months, I was earning more money than my corporate salary. Okay, so leap is fine, Damien, um, but there'll be people listening to this thinking, I can't leap because I've got a mortgage and a settled job and I've got kids to feed and I'm also absolutely petrified about doing it. How do we get beyond all of those things? Well, I think the Julian Hearn clip is a brilliant example of it where Julian was describing that he'd set up the business in his downtime. So it's like the Coronation Street test that if you know what's going on in Coronation Street, you've got time to spare to start investing in whatever your dream is instead. So like Julian said, you've got weekends, you've got evenings, you've got time to go and pursue that passion and see whether it's something you could make into a full-time job or like Kate Richardson most described, you know, she had time where it was about sacrificing, hanging around in the park with the mates on a Friday after school. It was about giving that time up to instead dedicate herself to becoming a better hockey player. So we all often have time. It's just a case of priorities. Yeah. And I think the key thing for priorities and for time is to create techniques and to create ways of operating. So, for example, as you know, Damien, I spend too much time on social media. So my new rule is twice a day for 10 minutes. I can go on social media and I can look at bits and pieces. And if I'm only on there for a couple of minutes and it's boring me and I come off, I don't get the eight minutes again. Brilliant. For any other time during the day. I only get the two windows a day. Um, and, even and have you me, noticed the difference things. on that? I was going to ask. Yeah, you- yeah, 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 yeah. I've, I've no- my problem is I did the incessant uh, look at my Twitter, look at my Instagram, check my emails, see how many people have downloaded high performance, go onto a football website to see the latest news, go back to Twitter go out to Instagram, go, and I'll go round in a circle. And then after four or five trips around the circle, I think, why, why, am I, why am I even floating around? Why am I doing this? It's an absolute madness. And then you find yourself, you get to the end of the day and you think, oh, I wish I had time to do all the things that I really wanted to do. And, you know, I know you've used the, the phrase on your social media before, if you don't find time to get fit, you'll have to make time to be ill. And it is really, it is as simple as that. You know, you have to find the time, you have to make the time, you have to create the processes to do that. And basically, it's so easy to have an excuse. And every single person listening to this podcast will have the time. They just will, won't they? I mean, I, yeah. I would recommend they read the 5am club. And if it means getting out of bed an hour earlier, starting your day right, and we've got some great advice on the High Performance Circle, by the way, um, where people talk about starting the day right. It's about getting those processes from minute one, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, th- that idea of priorities always reminds me of a conversation I had with an old boss of mine years ago where I said to, I, I said to him, I've sent you an email and you haven't got back to me. And he said, you're just not high enough, on, you're not, you're just not high enough up on my priority list to respond to yet, which felt wow. really brutal initially. Brutal. But it actually then made me realise that what's important to me, what was a priority to me, wasn't his priority. And that's mm. fine. So I think we all have different varying uh, things that are important to us. But I think when you can combine what's important 
with what's actually urgent as well, what we really want to do. I think that's where we start making sure that we become ruthless about where we do spend our time and our energy and our focus. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you one of the things that I changed when I read the 5am club was I started doing all the things I don't want to do first thing in the morning. Because what I would find is that those things would create the kind of malaise because I'd be like, oh, I know I've got some really fun stuff to do. But before I do that, I've got to do the stuff I don't want to do. So I'm going to put off doing the stuff I don't want to do, which also puts off the stuff I do want to do. So if you get a phone call from me at 7.30 in the morning, you will know it's a phone call. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be making. trouble. Oh, no. Yeah. But I'll honestly, I'll make the phone calls, I'll send the emails, I'll do the work in the office and try and get that done. And then I find that by like half eight, nine o'clock in the morning, I've done that work, done the school run. I already feel like I've won the day. And I think if you could start bringing, you know, I say often done, action leads to motivation. Yep. Rather than waiting for the motivation to come your way. If you just say, right, tomorrow I'm going to be on the phone less or I'm going to work harder. You won't because you actually have to change the way you operate, the actual movement of your body the way your mind works the, the physical things you do otherwise you just spend all your time wanting to be on a diet and you never are yeah and this is a perfect encapsulation of this leap stage that there is nobody that has achieved high performance however you want to define it without doing something different than what they were doing yesterday i like that <laughs> that well thank you but it's almost, it's almost like you're a professor <laughs> <laughs> right so um we've had the dream right damien yeah. we've had the leap and we've spoken about the importance when you're leaping of actually changing the way that you act when you when you take that leap um the reality is and you talk about this as the messy middle in lots of the books you've written the messy middle i've noticed is something you really focus on why is that because we all experience it there's um there's a concept in psychology from a lady called um Rosbeth Moss Cantor. She's a professor at Harvard University and she's actually got a law named after her. It's called Cantor's Law that says in the middle of any project, there will always come a moment where it looks and feels like a failure. And I think we can all experience it where you get too far in to go back to the start, but you're not far enough to see the results yet. And that's where morale declines, where people get fed up, despondency sets in, people become cynical. And I think... There's no project, there's no journey that we go on that doesn't meet cancer's law. And I think when we can acknowledge it and work out ways of getting through that stage, rather than get despondent and give up, we actually embrace it and welcome it as a sign of progress. So I think it's just so important for us all to acknowledge it. And I think the thing I would like to say before we hear from some of our guests talking about fighting is that people assume if you're successful, you haven't had to fight because you've been successful. Please understand wherever you're at listening to this, if you're either in the middle of a fight, if you sense one is coming up or you've got past one and you sense another one might be on, on its way, which they generally are, every single successful person who's joined us on the High Performance Podcast either has had a big fight, knows there's another fight ahead or is in the midst of one. Success and scrapping and fighting and failing and struggling go hand in hand. Successful people fail way more often than anybody else because successful people operate in a window where failure is almost inevitable. They're constantly pushing themselves to the absolute limits. So they almost want failure. Exactly like when you're in the gym and you lift a weight and you lift a failure, the next time you can lift stronger. They are seeking failure all the time because failure is where growth is and where growth is is where success and fulfillment hopefully lie. Um, who should we hear from then, Damien, when we talk about fight? 
Well, I think there's a few clips uh, that we've heard on this series. I think Hector Bellerin uh, was incredibly powerful about this, as was uh, Joe Conter. I really loved our conversation with Joe. I thought it was so rich and insightful. And she was very clear about talking about that formula of pain when you meet it with resistance leads to a longer and deeper and more painful struggle. Lovely. And can I throw Rick Lewis into the mix as well? The businessman, entrepreneur who I thought was really insightful when it came to to fighting. Should we hear from those three? I think they'd be brilliant. Let's enjoy them. You know, it should always be like a candle that's always burning at the same rate, right? So your value is always this. So it doesn't matter if you score a goal. It doesn't matter if you score an own goal. It doesn't matter if you lose your always win. Your value is always here. In football, it's always a complete other way around. It's like you score a goal, you win a trophy, yeah. boom. But then you lose and you're down here. So you're never in the middle. And everything around you, all the voices around you, your coach doesn't pick you if you don't play well. The media doesn't, you know, doesn't talk good about you. But it's not that they don't talk good about you. They talk bad. So they, they dig you a hole, you know. And then some of people that you call friends, maybe you're not playing that well, but, you know, they don't talk to you as much. And like, but then when you do well again, everyone is messaging you every week. And, oh, what a great game you played. Everyone on Instagram. So the candle is constantly like this. And so I you're being defined by what happens y- on a football Yeah, field. you basically, your self-esteem is yeah, like performance yeah. self-esteem. It's not like, a, a, you know, your, your value is dictated by your performance, which like no healthy human being can, yeah, yeah. can be happy with those metrics. But don't you have to hate losing and love winning to then yeah, become Yeah, but then, but then like, to, I feel like when successful. that candle is always burning so hard, then it's so easy to get blown out at the same time. A formula that he gave me is um, pain times resistance equals suffering. So if I'm in pain, let's say at a 10, but and I'm, you know, resisting at a 10, my suffering's going to be 100. Yeah. But if my resistance is zero, then my suffering's zero. And although, you know, there's probably variances in there, but to me that gave it a very practical, tangible kind of Brilliant. kind of steps for me to take if I was feeling a certain way. I'll try to keep it think about it from a parental perspective, but I think the thing that that I think resonates most is that I think integrity and authenticity, you know, it's hard to fake those, right? It's, you know, when people look at you and you're talking about whether it's business strategy or your belief about something or your understanding of what could happen, they're trying to figure out the whole time, like, is this someone I want to follow? Like, are they comfortable with themselves? Are they saying something that they believe or they want to believe. And so I think one of the biggest ingredients in leadership is integrity and authenticity, and, and they can't be fabricated. So I always encourage my team to try and find their authentic self. Like, you don't have to be everything. Like, if you're Wonder Woman, be Wonder Woman. Don't have to be Aquaman. Like, you can't. Right? And, and besides, when you do it, if you don't do it exceptionally well and comfortably, people can read it. They go, I'm not swimming with him. Yeah. I like, so um, I think that's one of them. Obviously, you have to, you have to find your own way of working hard and working smart. You know, you've got to be a leader. And I, I believe in leading by example. You know, we have a lot of rules, not rules, but principles of our culture. And one of them is you can't be above doing the small things because people see that mm-hmm. and go, right, is, is, is that what I'm trying to grow up to be? The guy who, or the woman who doesn't have to do certain things because I got to a level or it's that no, I'm willing to take the bins out. I've got something else that might be more valuable to the franchise, but if we need to take the bins out, I'm going to take it out with you. So the big, the, the biggest takeaway, I don't know what it is for you, Damien, but the biggest takeaway for me there is Hector Bayerin talking about living like a candle because I think that people have this 
this belief that the fight stage is somehow going to diminish them or affect them or impact them negatively. If we can operate like a candle, as Hector says, then it's so powerful because we're not getting high on our own supply when things are going good. And then equally, we're not knocked back when when the fight comes. And in some ways, if you can be like that, then you're totally immune to the struggle and the pain and, and the problems that lie ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And again, in a slightly different way, that was what Joe Contra shared with us about she, do, she would find herself on court sort of bemoaning a racket or an opponent or a line call by an umpire. And when she stopped and thought, I'm actually out here in the fresh air with the sun on my back and I'm doing an, an activity I love. And she started to appreciate and be grateful for everything that she was going through. That meant that rather than keep fighting, she actually just enjoyed the experience and she could get through it so much more successfully. We, we often talk on the High Performance Podcast about having a team around you, having people you can trust. And please, if you haven't yet listened to it, please listen to the Rick Lewis episode, massively inspiring. Um, and he's a man who shared with us the 12 cultures that define his business and the way he lives his life. He's never shared them anywhere else before. It was a real pleasure that he chose our podcast to do that. But I think when it comes to the fight, having those people around you is really important, Damien. We talk often about the importance of personal relationships. And personal relationships are very easy when everything's going well and you're telling them they're great and they're telling you they're great and everyone's patting each other on the back. When you get into the fight stage, that is where you really, really need people. I love the phrase, have a look at who doesn't clap when you win. I also love the phrase, when you're struggling, take a look at who doesn't give you a hand up. The fight stage is the perfect time to work out who should no longer be in your circle. Don't you think? Definitely. It's a phrase that I often use when I work with sports teams of anyone can jump on your back when you score a goal. It's who's standing next to you when you've just conceded a goal and it's your fault. Who's the guy that rallies you, put, gives you a pat on the back, encourages you and reminds you what you're good at. That to me is a great barometer of how healthy a culture really is, not who joins in with the celebrations. It's those moments of struggle where you really determine who's going to stay with you on that journey. Yeah, it's worth thinking about right now. If you've been successful, take a look at who didn't clap. And if you're struggling at the moment, have a look who isn't reaching out to give you a leg up. Right, we're going to talk now about climb. Let's hear from uh, Mel Marshall, who is the swimming coach who inspired so many great swimmers to glory at the Tokyo Olympics, including Adam Peaty, who joined us on the podcast, and also the astronaut Tim Peake. Here they are talking about the climb stage. I'm a performance coach, but there's still a community coach in me at heart. And, you know, I took a group of kids and they were from the age of 12 and I saw them all the way through to 18, really. And there were so many stories of triumphs, but we had this mantra of you're going to go to your Olympics, whatever that might be. That might be the county championships. That might be the actual Olympic Games. There's no ceilings. There's no boundaries. I just want your energy, enthusiasm, and your constant commitment, and we'll get you to your Olympics, whatever that might be. That might be to finish swimming and go on to college. That might be to do your A-levels and balance that out with swimming at the same time. But there was a real good story around a girl called Fran Baldwin and she she works for me now and she's a master's student at Loughborough and now Fran she wasn't the most talented swimmer and she was one of three um three girls and her dad brought her the first time and he was like um look we're not getting too involved we're going to go a couple of times a week eight years down the line he's got one kid in America he's been on the team manager for seven trips and all that sort of stuff but anyway so 
Fran Baldwin just really encompasses everything that we tried to do in that programme because I think we got her to her Olympics, which was a national championships. And she, you know, the qualification standard that she needed to do, she was the anchor leg in the relay and she just blew something out of nowhere. Um, But that to me is the power of sport. And you can have all the technical manuals in the world and all of the detail from all of the best scientists in the world, but it's human connectivity, it's enthusiasm, and it's emotion that finds those brilliant moments. And I remember going to uh, speaking to my wife saying, look, there's no guarantee of a trip to space. I could be giving up my career as a test pilot. I could spend 10 years with the space agency and never fly. How do I reconcile myself with that? And how do I continue to see this as a positive experience? And the answer to that was to embrace you know, every opportunity that came my way, to look at the training that I was about to receive as, as incredibly valuable um, and to be, be able to build on that. So in 10 years time, if I was in the situation where I hadn't flown, I would actually still have additional skill sets to be able to go on and use in other industries in, in to further my career, whether in the space agency or elsewhere. So it's a case of looking at those uh, possible outcomes and just making sure that there are always a positive ways out of a situation. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So these were two brilliant examples, again, of, 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 of what this space means. Of It's about measuring progress according to what success means for you, not letting external validation determine it. So I love talking about Mel because I think the bit that most resonated with me was when she was talking about her club at Derby, where she was working with guys that were good swimmers but were never going to go and compete in the Olympic Games. So getting somebody to perform in the best way that they were capable of with their resources and the time that they were in was just as satisfying for her as a coach as it was seeing Adam Peaty smash the world record in uh, Tokyo a couple of weeks ago. I think it's a powerful message for, for anyone listening to this that don't get caught up in measuring yourself and the comparison culture of somebody else has got more or they're further ahead in their career. Measure it against where you are in your moment with the resources that you have. We all start from different starting points 
and our finish line is going to be different for all of us as well. I think the, and that's brilliant by the way, I think the other really important thing to say here is that sometimes we're in the climb stage when it feels like we're still in the fight stage. And I think it's really key that people don't think they're always in the fight stage and they just give up and they stop before they just get the realisation that they're actually climbing. I remember hearing Joe Wicks talking about um, how he went from a guy outside a station on a push bike trying to get people to come and do his PT classes to, to where he is now. And he said that he was starting to do the social media and he started sharing his like recipes and all these things and talking about how he worked and how he operated. And he said he had no idea that every time he put up an Instagram update or every time he shared a recipe or every time he did a quick video of him doing sit-ups or press-ups or whatever, he was creating a brand. He didn't see it. All he saw was that he was still cycling down to the train station in Richmond. He was still giving out leaflets. He was still taking people to PT classes. He was still struggling to pay his bills and all those things. And then there was a moment where he was like, well, hold on, I've built this huge following on social media. I've created a brand of the body coach. But he still felt like he was in the fight stage. So I think sometimes the climb stage doesn't reveal itself, does it, until quite a long way through. So either, I don't know, does it matter that we try and see the climb even when we're in the fight? Or do we just accept when we're in the fight that the climb is happening? Because for most people it is because I think that the fight is part of the climb. The two are kind, Very of, much. They're kind of together for me. And I, I feel like I'm still fighting despite other people thinking I'm climbing. And yeah, I've had periods where I've climbed. Yeah. Then I feel like I'm fighting again. And then, it, do you know? Yeah. It's not linear, is it? It doesn't stop and start. Like, it's not, right, I've ended the fight, I'm in the climb. Yeah, no, exactly. These stages uh, are not always cl as clearly defined as we might, as, as we're discussing and it might lead us to imagine. I was in Japan a couple of years ago and um, I was talking to uh, some of the locals out there and they had a great story about the bamboo and I don't know how true this is, but this was their definition of how they described this stage, that they said, if you plant a bamboo tree, it doesn't grow in year one or year two or year three. You won't see any evidence of it. In year four, you might see a little bit, but in year five, it grows a massive amount. And their point was, was it not doing anything for those four years? And the answer was, it was growing, but it was growing under the soil where it wasn't visible. So in the fifth year, everyone says, oh, look how great it is. But the reality is you needed those four years that preceded it for that bamboo to be healthy and to grow at the level it did. And I think that's a nice metaphor for what you're describing. That's like the Joe Witts example, just doing the same thing over and over again and doing the right thing because it's what you believe and it's what you're passionate about will eventually lead you to see progress, but it might not be visible for a long time. It's brilliant. And before we move on to the arrive stage, um, having heard from Rick Lewis earlier in this episode, I still remember him saying, if you can get to the point where your passion meets your hard work and your ambition, then you're in a really, really healthy place. And I think that is what's really important here is that sometimes you don't even know. Sometimes I think it's tricky as well. You don't know if you're in the fight stage. You don't know really if you're in the climb stage. You might even still be sort of leaping and making those movements. If you can find a place though where you're passionate, I think... Personally, it solves all the problems because, hey, if you're dreaming and leaping with passion, then you're doing the right thing. If you're then fighting through passion, it still kind of feels rewarding and exciting because the f passion takes away the pain of the fight. And then when you're in the climb stage, you love it because you're not climbing in a direction that you don't want to go. You know, how many people are listening to this now thinking, I know I'm in the climb stage, but I don't even want to be in the climb stage with this particular path i wish i was over there doing what i'm really passionate about 
Passion solves everything. The challenge is passion doesn't always pay the bills. So it's about getting that balance right. And I also think we have to be really careful, Damien, to sit here saying to people, hey, give up your job, follow your passion, leap, be brave, woo don't worry about all the collateral damage as your, you know, your husband or wife walks out the door or your kids ask you <laughs> yeah. where, why there's no dinner on the table. We have to be very careful about not making this ace seem kind of trite and easy and also can't be selfish about this whole thing, can we? Yeah, I think that's a really powerful point that you're making there, Jake, that, that, that we're not presenting this as telling people that, that high performance is all about um, just following this and, and, and to heck with the consequences. I think, you know, there's people listening to this, that high performance is being there for your children to read a bedtime story at night. High performance might be, you know, going and doing a job that, you, that you're not passionate about, but giving your children the best chance uh, of, uh, of a life. The first book I ever wrote was a book called Liquid Thinking. And I interviewed a guys from a factory just outside of Liverpool around this. And it was about looking at techniques that like Richard Branson had used or Alex Ferguson had used and how these guys were doing the same thing, but in a different way. And there was a guy there called Steve I interviewed who he'd had to leave school at 15 for family circumstances. And it was his ambition to give his daughters the education that he'd never uh, had. But he was found himself working in a factory. He was getting a fixed wage. He knew that to move his children to the catchment area, the best school wasn't possible. So he bought a plot of land for next to nothing and spent five years building his own house on this plot of land that eventually meant that he could move in there and get his daughters into the best school in the area. Now that to me was as powerful as Richard Branson building his virgin business or Rick Lewis describing what he's done at his property company. So I think this is a point to emphasise that high performance is doing the best you can in the moment you're in and with the resources that you have. It's not about comparison culture of saying that you need to pack in your job, you need to be making this much money. It's about high performance on your own terms. I love it. What did Mel Marshall say? Everyone gets to their own Olympics and that's all you have to do. Don't look at someone else's Olympics wishing that was yours. You're in your own race, you're in your own fight. Hopefully you're in your own climb and you will at some point with the right processes arrive. Talking of arriving, you're about to hear from the former Formula One world champion Jensen Button and also from Jason Kenny, who, of course, went to Tokyo 2020 and had such brilliant Olympic Games. Here they are. But I had a pint in the, in the hotel bar with my dad and I just looked at him and I said, I'm going to win the world championship tomorrow. I have, to, I have to win the world championship tomorrow before the last race of the season. And he just looked at me and nodded. And uh, woke up the next day, refreshed, walked into the team, and they're like, oh, okay. And had a great race, one of the best races of my life, fighting through. And, you know, the car was obviously working well. But, uh, uh, yeah, fighting through. And all the time on the radio, it's like, where, where are we? Where's Lewis? Where's Sebastian? Where do we need to be? And having as much information as possible, how hard I should push how brave I had to be on the moves of, you know, overtaking people. Because a lot of them were like close calls. And yeah, crossing that finish line, it, uh, it, was, it was a very special and emotional moment. Doing it that way, for me, it felt that race, you know, the highs and the lows of that race weekend was my whole career yeah. in two days. <laughs> I've always been able to rationalise things and just, and like I say, I, I've had to accept for large portions of my career that I've not been the best. And I have just learned not to worry about things and I've learned not to worry about the fact that I'm 
not the strongest in the gym I'm not the best at this and I'm not the best at that and just kind of focus on what I can do and focus on myself really right so that's the key you focus on what you can as opposed to what you can't do you don't get caught up in comparisons yeah I suppose so yeah you teased an answer at me there but yeah I suppose so <laughs> <laughs> yeah just but like I say focus on delivering the best that you can do ultimately you know it is impossible for you to do anymore isn't it at the end of the day so there's no point in worrying about doing doing more than you're physically capable so arrive Damien now I want to be really careful with this because we spend all our time talking about the fact that it's not about the arrival it's about the process it's about the journey so how do we explain to people that arrive is important but also at the back of our minds there's a little voice going but you never actually arrive because you go to the next thing and you have another ambition and another aim and another desire Yep. So this is another staging post that we need to get to, though, where we need to give ourselves a moment to pause, to reflect, to pat ourselves on the back, to engage in the exercise that we frequently talk about on this podcast, Jake, about success leaves clues, work out what you did well, give yourself credit, and then reinvest, go back and do it again, go back and work out what's the next journey that we're going to go on. But I think there's an important point here that we've heard from from both Adam Peaty and Jason Kenny on this whole podcast and earlier episodes when we spoke to Sir Chris Hoy. It's almost like the medals are not the important thing. It's the fact that they've that they've given everything in pursuit of a goal that is where the real reward is, that they've done the best they can in that moment. So if you remember Chris Hoy told us how he'd forgot to even celebrate when he won his sixth gold medal at the London Games, because that wasn't the important thing. It was about following the process and giving his absolute all. You know, Adam told us that the medals don't count much for him. Jason Kenny doesn't seem to have uh, got high on his own supply of winning so many gold medals. It's about the process. Uh, but I think the stage is important to stop, pause, reflect, give ourselves a pat on the back and then go again. Mm. And we talk a lot about being present. And I think in this stage, being present is really important because if you start sitting there going, right, I feel like I've arrived, so I'm going to look back on all the great things I've done and I was really successful here and I managed to double the turnover of my business there and I hired this great person there. That's basically your ego, right? Getting involved in the conversation and saying, yeah, yeah, you're brilliant, you're brilliant, you're brilliant. If you start looking at the future and going, right, now I'm going to double this and I'm going to treble it and I'm going to be double successful and even more amazing and I'm going to have even more adulation, even more success. Well, that's really, that's your pride coming into play and going, yeah, let's be amazing. I think the most important thing is, if you can do it, is just to try and be in the moment now where you think, you know what, it's not about what happened before. It's not about what might come next. It's about where I am at this moment. And actually, I think that in all the five stages we've talked about, Damien, dream, leap, fight, climb, arrive, being in the moment actually is, is, is okay in all of those. I think we, get, we trick ourselves into thinking that when we start this journey, we have to be in the future. We have to let our pride take over. I think we also think when we get towards the end, we have to let our ego get involved and look at all the great things we've done. If we can just keep on enjoying the process and if we break down all the people that have joined us on the podcast, there's normally two things that stand out for me. They're relentless, so they don't actually arrive at all. They're relentless but also they're consistent. So the things that they're doing when they leap and fight is the same thing they're doing when they arrive, which is why they arrive, but then they find themselves double accelerated and maybe it takes the pressure off a bit so they're even more successful. But 
that moment where you stop and reflect is probably the, the moment when things start to change or go wrong, I think. Yeah, and that's why I'd add a third one in. I agree about relentlessness and consistency. I think the third one is humility. I think when you're humble and I think that sort of dials down the ego and the pride and allows you to say um, that I'm still open to new experiences. I'm still open to new ideas and to and to reflect on what I didn't do as well as what I did and how am I going to plan and do it better. I think that's a third factor that then allows you to be in that moment and not get caught up with those other vices. Another tip I would give you is um, something that was shared with us on the pod by Susie Ma, the entrepreneur. She talked about infinite purpose. You've probably heard us talk on almost every episode since then about the power of infinite purpose. It kind of takes away the arrival, really. So having a purpose is really important. Having an ambition or a goal is great. But if you make it infinite, then it has no end. So if it's just to be better, then, well, that's your purpose is to be better every day. But it's also infinite if it's to impact other people's lives, if it's to spread positivity to as many people as I can every single day, well, that doesn't have an ending. So that's a really powerful thing to think about. And I would challenge you to think, what is the infinite purpose for me? You know, I would say, the what, what would you say is the infinite purpose for you with high performance, Damien? For me, it is impacting as many people as often as possible with the tools and the equipment to be more successful and happier. And that way, um, there's no ending, is there? No, and I'm completely aligned with you on it. I think it's uh, making that positive impact on as many people as possible. And whether we do that through our own personal interactions with people when they get in touch with us, or whether it's through people just choosing to listen to an episode like this, hopefully if they come away from it feeling it's had a positive impact on their lives that is a is a validation of, a, of our sense of purpose. So there we go. That's it. 23 episodes. By the way, when I say 23 episodes in um, season five, that doesn't include all of these little bite-sized episodes we release on a Friday. So that, wow. <laughs> we've done a lot, man. <laughs> oh, it's, it's been, been great, though. I think the feedback yeah. has, been, uh, has been remarkable, hasn't it? Yeah, and I'd, it's been a real privilege. You know, I think we're lucky enough to uh, be sat opposite these incredible people and I think when you look in their eyes and you see that they're open and they're so willing and generous to share and you know give us the highlights from their life but more importantly to talk about the lessons and that uh, that have occurred during their low lights or dark moments it's just felt an utter utter privilege so uh, yeah it's, it, I've enjoyed this episode because it's been nice to look back hasn't it and it's been an absolute pleasure to share it with you you know I, I love working with you and you bring so much to these conversations um so thank you so much oh thank you mate well likewise you know i think i think we have a good laugh and i think the biggest thing from this whole series that we've been doing is sort of getting the chance to work together and 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 enjoy being on the journey together so thank you for thanks for allowing me to do so no worries um and I really hope it's helped you at home as well, um, particularly our conversation today about the five stages of change. And if you find that actually you're in the fight stage and you're finding it hard at the moment, um, one final quote, which I love is, suffering is given to you, so it opens your eyes to the truth. So um, I guess in some ways, embrace the suffering and see where it takes you. Um, 
and thank you very much for being part of it. Um, of course, we wouldn't be able to create the High Performance Podcast without Lotus Cars standing alongside us. So Lotus, um, thank you so, so much for being there from the very beginning. Um, and very best of luck to Lotus in their stages of change that they're going through at the moment with a really exciting future for them. Um, of course, huge thanks to Damien Hughes. You can find him on Instagram at Liquid Thinker. Thank you to Finn Ryan from Rethink Audio and all the other team at Rethink Audio who've been brilliant throughout the whole series. To Hannah and to Will who have been um, constantly there finding guests, creating content, being passionate and enjoying what they're involved in. So thanks to them for everything they've done. Um, don't forget, you can follow High Performance at High Performance on Instagram. You can find me at Jake Humphrey. We're also on YouTube. You can watch all the episodes there. And while we're gone, now might just be the perfect time to join the High Performance Circle. Just go to thehighperformancepodcast.com, click on the High Performance Circle, get your invite, get involved. And I guess we should come back for Series 6. What do you reckon, Damien? Yeah, if people don't listen, yeah, I think it'd be, uh, I think it would be uh, foolish not to come back. I think there's so many more areas of high performance we can explore. Wonderful. We'll take a break, listen to the back catalogue, um, keep being inspired by the stuff across our social media, and we'll see you for Series 6 very soon of the High Performance Podcast. But for now, wherever you're listening, have a great day.